0: Kids, you know how um, there's lots of tools in your house, in all different kinds of rooms, all different kinds of tools, and some of those tools are better than others, and some of those tools are used for different things than others? Well, for example, if you need to drive a nail, you're going to want to do that with a hammer instead of getting a uh, fly swatter out of the kitchen, right? But please... If there's ever a fly on your dad's head, grab the fly swatter, not the hammer. Because hammers are for driving nails and fly swatters are for killing flies. And if you reverse those, there's going to be a lot of damage involved. Our sermon text today, Paul's point is that the purpose of spiritual gifts is to build up the church. And because that's the purpose of spiritual gifts, the best tool for the job is the gift of prophecy, not the gift of tongues. Now you'll remember that the church at Corinth was experiencing division in the body. There were some hurtful things going on all over the issue of spiritual gifts. And it's because uh, their understanding and their exercise of spiritual gifts in the church was hurting one another. They, They viewed certain gifts, especially the gift of speaking in tongues as a mark of spiritual maturity and spiritual status in the church. So, Paul has been addressing this particular problem in the church. And last week, he addressed this head-on by saying that the spiritual gifts are only profitable if they're exercised in one key word. What was that word from 1 Corinthians 13? Love. And so, coming out of that masterpiece of 1 Corinthians 13 on love... We come to chapter 14 this week. Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 14. That's on page 960. Jimmy read that for us earlier. I'll not read the entire thing again. But I want you to be looking at the page throughout this sermon this morning. You will be helped tremendously. In all of 1 Corinthians 14, Paul emphasizes... That the purpose of spiritual gifts is to build up the church. And because of that, the best tool for the job is the gift of prophecy, not the gift that they thought was the best gift. The gift of speaking in tongues. So you'll notice in verse 1, he comes out of that masterpiece of chapter 13 and it begins... In verse 1 of chapter 14, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy. Well, you notice there that those two imperative, imperatives, pursue and earnestly desire, immediately give a clear distinction on priority, don't they? Pursue something and then subsequently, in a smaller way, desire earnestly desire it, but we want you to pursue love. That's your goal. Love is the goal. And Corinth, your priorities are wrong. You've been pursuing spirituality. You've been pursuing status and you're hurting each other. So Paul says, how do we love each other? Chapter 14. You build each other up. You build one another up. Everything Paul says in chapter 14 is in the context of the church gathering together. This is not you and God at home. This is not you and a walk in the woods worshiping the Lord. This is the church gathered together. And when the church gathers together, yes, we're here to worship God, But Paul says in chapter 14, we're here to build each other up. So, look at the context here with me. I want to prove this to you so that you're on solid ground this morning. Everything Paul talks about is when the church is gathered together. Look there at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2. People are speaking to each other within the church. Verse 6, Paul says, if I come to you. Verse 16, people are listening and saying amen. They're either understanding or not understanding what's said. Look at verse 23, when the whole church comes together. And look there in verse 23 and 24, if outsiders or unbelievers enter. Look at verse 26, when you come together. So this whole context is, is in the context of the church gathering together for worship. And he's going to give instructions on how the church is to function when they gather together. Paul's point is this. It's very simple, very straightforward. The purpose of spiritual gifts is to build up the church when you gather together. That's why the Holy Spirit has given you these tools To use them on each other, to build each other up, not tear each other down. And because that's the purpose, Paul is going to tell us that one gift is better than the other. Better than the other. Better not in and of itself, but better for the gathering of the body for public worship. So look, for example, in verse three, do you see that they're coming together and they are to build each other up and encourage each other and give consolation to each other? Look at verse four. The one who prophesies does what? Builds up the church. Look at verse five. So that the church may be what? Built up. And not just these speaking gifts, but all of the tools, the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us are for building up the church. Look at verse 12. In fact, would you read verse 12 with me? Beginning with the word so, read that out loud. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. What's our marching orders? We're to strive to excel in building up the church. I wonder if that's something that you're striving to do. Are you pursuing love so that you can build one another up? Look at verse 26. What then, brothers? When you come together, let all things be done for... Two words. Building up. This whole chapter is about building each other up. And so, again, just look at the whole chapter. Paul says one tool is better than the other one. Just like a fly swatter is better than a hammer, prophecy is better than the gift of tongues for building up the church. Look at verse 1. Especially that you might prophesy. Look at verse 5. Now I want you all to speak in tongues. What are the next three words? But even more to prophesy. Verse the 5 at the end, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Verse 19, nevertheless, in church... Paul says, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words speaking in a tongue. And so throughout the chapter, Paul gives four reasons why prophecy is better than speaking in tongues when the church gathers together. Four reasons prophecy is better than tongues... When the church gathers together. Time out. Before we get to those reasons. It's clear that the Corinthians know exactly what Paul's talking about. When he talks about the gift of prophecy. The gift of tongues. They know what he's talking about. They're living it. Most of us don't. In fact, just last week, during the sermon, I saw one person lean over to another and say, what's the gift of tongues? <laughs> so today, as part of this sermon, I'd like to answer that question. In fact, I have three big questions as a timeout. Before we get to Paul's four reasons why, I'd like to ask three big questions. Big question number one, what is the gift of tongues? Tongues. Big question number two, what is the gift of prophecy? And then um, big question number three, are these gifts still in operation today? Now, you'll notice that when I rephrase those questions, or when I phrase those questions, I was careful to put that little verb in there. What was the gift of tongues? Maybe I didn't say it, but. This is intentional. What was the gift of tongues? What was the gift of prophecy? And are they still in operation today? That's because it's imperative that we determine what the gift was then and there in the scriptural context in which Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. It's imperative that we know what the gift was so that we can know if the gift is still in operation today. So, I'm going to take some time to answer those three big questions before we move on in our sermon this morning. I hope that you will be helped by this. I get, I've given you a note sheet there that you can maybe just jot down a few phrases for future study. And then after our study this morning, my lovely wife will be giving you a handout on the way out so that you can consider some of these things and, and do some more study on your own. So big question number one. What was the gift of tongues in the New Testament? Did you know that the gift of tongues is only spoken of in two places? The book of Acts and the first Corinthians 12, 13 and 14. That's it. The gift of tongues is highly controversial today. And so I'm going to briefly explain three main views that sort of cover the whole spectrum. Everything from really conservative to very charismatic, and then what I will land on in the middle. So you'll understand that the first and the second view, probably not mine, I'm going to be in this middle one right here each time. So, what is the gift, or what was the gift of tongues? The conservative end of the spectrum, the gift of tongues was a human language, unknown to the speaker. And that's based on the book of Acts. We're absolutely confident that speaking in tongues was speaking a human language that the speaker did not know and had never learned. It would be like me speaking Chinese today. But those people in the crowd in the book of Acts heard what was being said in their own language. I may have been trying to speak in English but they were hearing in Farsi or in Kenyan. So on the conservative end of the spectrum the gift of tongues was a human language known to the speaker unknown unknown to the speaker. Now the question is is that the same in 1 Corinthians as it was in the book of Acts? And there's a lot of debate over that. Let's go to the other end of the spectrum not the conservative side, but what is typically held by our charismatic friends, some orthodox, some completely unorthodox. But on the other charismatic end of the spectrum, gift of tongues was a heavenly language, not a human language. It was a heavenly language. Those who are unorthodox, those that we would absolutely disagree with and do not believe, understand the gospel, believe that it is the universal initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit for all Christians. In other words, if you're a true Christian, then you will have spoken in tongues. We reject that outright. But other friends of ours who are orthodox, charismatics, believe that it is a heavenly prayer language. And they base this on things like 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. Look there at chapter 14, verse 2. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. Look at verse 14. Paul says about him, himself, If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Pretty wide variety here between the conservative camp and the charismatic camp so far. One saying it's limited to a human language. The other saying, no, it's a heavenly language. I like what the... the uh, The balance that Tom Schreiner gives, Tom is a professor at uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in, in Louisville. Schreiner says, What many charismatic churches do today and consider speaking in tongues doesn't fit with the New Testament description of the gift, but we should not assume that it is evil or demonic. I think that's a very good balance for us. So what about this middle position that I would probably subscribe to? Even if I've studied this now for four weeks, I still have more questions than I have answers. But in answering the question, what is the gift of tongues? The gift of tongues was simply a spontaneous utterance for sure. In the book of Acts, it was a human language that was unknown to the speaker for sure. But after studying everything that I've studied in 1 Corinthians, there's enough evidence in 1 Corinthians that it seemed to be some sort of spiritual utterance that while it's not gibberish, was flowing from the human spirit rather than the human mind. We'll talk about that more. And just to root us a bit in more in Scripture than I've already done, would you please look at Acts chapter 2? I want to show you what we know for sure about the gift of tongues. In Acts chapter 2, the gift of tongues was a miraculous gift given by the Holy Spirit, empowering the disciples of Jesus to speak in a human language that they did not know. And that miracle gave attestation, verification, to the gospel of Jesus. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse one, on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit was poured out on the disciples. Verse four, they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. If you continue to read, they were empowered to quote, tell the mighty works of God in a language that they didn't know. People, look at just look at the list there in Acts 2. People from just a plethora of nations were there in attendance. 3,000 in that crowd that day from all different countries. And what does it say in verse 7 or verse 6? They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not these all speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? That's a miracle. At Pentecost, speaking in tongues functioned as an attestation of the gospel of Jesus and the the arrival of the Holy Spirit. It's like the reverse of the curse of the Tower of Babel. When at Babel, because of human arrogance and defiance, God confused the language, God is now saying through the gospel of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit, I am uniting all the nations in Jesus again. If you keep reading in Acts 2.14, you'll find out that it was an attestation of the arrival of the Spirit. Peter explains that what they're witnessing was the prophecy in Joel 2 being fulfilled when God was pouring out His Spirit, ushering in the last days, and they would speak in tongues and see visions and see things like that. Joel 2 was being fulfilled right before their eyes. If you look at Acts 10, the gift of tongues was an attestation that, that uh, the gospel was not limited to Israel, but it was for all nations. So in Acts chapter 10, if you just flip over there to verse 44, you'll see that Peter shared the gospel with uh, Cornelius, who was not an Israelite, and his whole household. And the Spirit indwelled them, and they spoke in tongues. That speaking in tongues, yes, it came after their salvation, but it was not a verification that they had been saved. It was an attestation that the Gentiles had truly received the same Spirit that the Jews had. The gospel is not just for Israel. It's for everyone, and aren't we glad about that? If you look over at Acts chapter 19, you'll see another attestation that the gift of tongues attested to the supremacy of Christ. Paul went to Ephesus. And when he was in Ephesus, he found some disciples of John the Baptist. And he asked them if they believed in Jesus. And they were baptized in Jesus' name. They said, no, we've only ever received the baptism of John. And so when Paul baptized them in Jesus' name... The Holy Spirit gave them the gift of tongues. What was that attesting to? Only Jesus can baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John baptizes with water, but Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Friends, that tells us something, that even the best of all of the Old Testament prophets, even the best of of. Those who call for repentance can only do so much. It takes the work of God. The the Lord Jesus Christ is the only one in whom we can be, in whom we can receive the Holy Spirit of God. That's our only hope in life and death. It's coming to Jesus. When we get to 1 Corinthians, then we would just assume that the gift of tongues is the same, that it's a human language unknown to the speaker but that when it is spoken, it's known by someone. And that's why the gift of interpretation was necessary. And I I would be quite happy to hold that view, except that there is enough in 1 Corinthians that... For example, look at chapter 14, verse 13 through 19. The gift of tongues was associated with praying and singing praise and giving thanks. And Paul says specifically he was doing this with his spirit, not his mind. Really, really interesting. The gift of tongues, he says there, is not understood by the individual himself or by the church unless it's accompanied by the gift of interpretation. So what was the gift of tongues? Well, again I still have more questions than I have answers, but I am satisfied that it was a spontaneous utterance for sure a human language unknown to the speaker. But I leave the door open for some type of spiritual utterance while not pure gibberish, certainly not conjured up because this is a gift of the spirit. It's not something that I practice and conjure up in my own being, but that was flowing from the human spirit empowered by the Holy Spirit that was not primarily situated in the human mind. We'll just have to continue exploring that later. That's just an overview of the gift of tongues. What about the gift of prophecy? So prophecy is better than the gift of tongues. We're going to find out why. Four reasons why in just a minute. Hold on. But before we get there, what is the gift of prophecy? Well, again, let's go with this big spectrum. On the conservative end of the spectrum... The gift of prophecy was and is declaring God's words. The same as preaching. Those on the conservative end of the spectrum would say that I'm prophesying right now. Because I'm declaring God's word. Jimmy prophesied earlier because he read God's word. Far conservative end. These are not the only three views. That's just the far conservative end. Far charismatic end. The gift of prophecy is receiving and declaring a word from God, the same as inspired scripture. Far charismatic end. So just like Moses was inspired, just like Peter was inspired, just like Paul was inspired, those who receive a word from God are the same. Far charismatic end, we would absolutely reject that. Why? Because that undermines the authority of the inspired Scripture, and the Scripture is full of of warnings about that. I actually don't take either one of those views. I would come here in the middle, along with Tom Schreiner, who I found his book really helpful. I would recommend it to you. It's not the only resource. It was just a very clear and helpful one. It's his book on spiritual gifts. In the middle of the spectrum, the gift of prophecy was receiving and declaring spontaneous revelations. I know that makes some feel very uncomfortable. I had to wrestle with that for a while. But I think this morning as we read and examine this text, you'll understand why. The gift of prophecy was receiving and declaring spontaneous revelations from God because they were from the Holy Spirit. They didn't have any error in them at all. And those revelations were to instruct and encourage and warn the people of God and to build up the church. That's what Paul's arguing for. Prophecy is different than preaching Because it was spontaneous revelation. So it wasn't like it was just recalling scripture to mind in the New Testament. And prophecy was different than scripture because it wasn't preserved by God in the canonization of his word through all of his various means. Let me just give you a few notable points on this. The book of Acts is another helpful uh, place for us to, to go for this. In the book of Acts, two times when we see the gift of tongues, we also see the gift of prophecy. What does that mean? That just like the gift of tongues, the gift of prophecy was an attestation to the spirit and the gospel and the new covenant being fulfilled in Jesus. It accompanied the gift of tongues in Acts chapter 2, they didn't just speak in tongues. They, quote, prophesied. And then again in Acts chapter 19, they didn't just speak in tongues. They also prophesied. You can read this later. I'll give you the handout. I would love for you to look at this. Take a look at at Acts chapter 11. In the New Testament, the gift of prophecy in the book of Acts, is recorded to have communicated truth given by the Holy Spirit that could not be known to humans and that actually predicted the future. Now, let's be careful. Just because it happened in the book of Acts, and especially to a guy named Agabus, that does not mean that prophecy is always predictive more regularly And especially in 1 Corinthians, prophecy, the gift of prophecy, addresses present circumstances and was for instruction and encouragement. Had nothing to do with future events, but it's here. It's not just in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, a guy named Agabus, who was a prophet. Look there in Acts chapter 11, verse 27 and 30. Agabus, quote, foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great Famine, and then the church was able to act. If you look over at Acts chapter 21, the same guy, Agabus, prophesied that Paul would be arrested in Jerusalem. He predicted the future, not based on his own knowledge, but through the gift of prophecy from the Holy Spirit. Also interesting, look at Acts chapter 21 since you're already there. The gift of prophecy was given to both men and women. There in Acts 21, look at verse 9. Paul was staying at the house of Philip, the evangelist. By the way, he was one of the first seven deacons in Acts 6. You remember that guy? He was staying at Philip's house. And verse 9, he had four unmarried daughters who, what? Prophesied. Go over to our sermon text this morning. As we're answering the question, what is the gift of prophecy? Or pardon me, what was the gift of prophecy? Very important. What was the gift of prophecy? And I'll tell you why that word is so important in just a moment. What was the gift of prophecy? Look at 1 Corinthians 14, 30. The the gift of prophecy was the reception of spontaneous revelations from God. Look at verse 30. If while one is prophesying... Another receives a prophecy, the guy who's talking is supposed to sit down and let the other one go. Huh? Well, that's happening on the fly. That's spontaneous revelation. Look, we can't just erase that and say, oh, it doesn't mean that. It certainly means that. That happened in the book of Acts. That happened in 1 Corinthians. The big question is, is that still happening today? My answer is no. I'll tell you why. Are these gifts, particularly the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy, still being used by the Holy Spirit today? Like he did in Acts and 1 Corinthians. There's three main views on this as well. I'll do this just in bang, bang, bang order. You can explore it later and. I was going to say argue with me, but please don't, because I'm not good at it. I I really stink at discussions and debates. You'll win. I promise. There's this camp of people called continuationists. Guess what they think the the gifts do? Continue. They're still in operation today. Guys like Wayne Grudem and Sam Storms, really good, good Christian, solid guys, Like you could read Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology and be blessed all over the place. Sam Storms is is an awesome Christian. They believe that all of the spiritual gifts are still in operation today. They're called continuationists. Then there's another camp of people called cessationists. Guys like Tom Schreiner and John MacArthur. Really good guys. Wonderful Christians, but they believe very differently. How's that possible? Because God's a very big God and says some things that are very hard to understand. But we can wrestle with it and we can disagree in love. This is a second-tier issue, not a first-tier gospel issue. Cessationists believe that the, the gifts have what? Ceased. They don't believe that all of the gifts cease. They just believe that many, especially the sign gifts and the miracle gifts like tongues, healing, miracles. Why? Because those gifts serve their purpose in the book of Acts to give attestation to the gospel newly on the scene. And now they've finished their course. So I actually am very comfortable with the cessationist position, but I probably wouldn't sign my name to it. Here's why. I would call myself a cautious cessationist. I'm going to be left of center over here with the sensa- with not sensationists, the cessationists. I'm going to be a cautious cessationist because I absolutely believe that the sign and miraculous gifts have served their purpose, but I'm very open to the Spirit using those gifts today at certain times and certain places when what might need to happen? Attestation to the gospel like in a country that has never had the gospel before. I'm very, in fact, if 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 the Lord sent me to a country as a, as a frontier missionary and I was there and I didn't know the language and they had never had the gospel and they didn't have the word of God, friends, I'd be praying for the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy and the gift of what I'd be praying to be able to do miracles, to give attestation to do this. And I, I would... Fully expect the Lord to say yes or no, and it'd be up to him. That's just where I am. So let let me just give you four reasons. Bang, 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 bang. Four. Four reasons why I believe that the gift of tongues and prophecies are no longer in operation today. Here we go. You know, wonder why? Number one, the church has been established. It's not happening anymore. Number two, the mystery of the gospel has been revealed. Number three, the scripture has been canonized. And number four, sound doctrine has been codified. There's no longer any need for the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy to be in operation today. But as I said, I remain open to the spirit doing whatever he wants to accomplish his purposes. I'm a cautious cessationist. So I don't know if that was helpful or not. I know that it was long, but whether it was helpful or not, I don't know. Many, many, many really good Christians would disagree with me. Maybe you do. But uh, there's a lot to study here, and I encourage you to do that study on your own and get some really good resources. But back to Paul's point now. Okay? Time out, done. 1 Corinthians 14, are you there? 1 Corinthians 14. Paul's point in this whole chapter is that the tools that the Spirit gives, like tongues and prophecy, are given for one major purpose. And what is that? To build up the church. That's why he gave us those gifts and those tools, to build up the church. And because that's the purpose then Paul's going to give us four reasons why prophecy is better than tongues. The problem at Corinth was not merely the gift of tongues. It was tongues in the public worship service that was uninterpreted, which meant somebody was standing up and saying something and nobody had a clue what they were saying. They viewed that as a very spiritual thing. And so lots of people were not only doing it individually, but they were doing it all over the place at the same time. And it caused chaos and confusion. And Paul addresses that issue right now. Four reasons prophecy was better than tongues. Read verse 2 and 3 with me. Why? For one who speaks in a tongue speaks... Not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Reason number one, tongues was speaking to God. Prophecy was speaking to people. Prophecy is better than tongues in the public worship service because there are people there. And Paul says in verse 3, the one who prophesies speaks to people and they can understand him. But with tongues, you cannot understand him at all. Now, this presents two difficulties for us that we don't have Enough time to explore, but difficulty number one, this one speaking in tongues speaks to God, not men. That doesn't fit with the conservative view at all. I've been wrestling with that this week. And number two, verse two, the one speaking in tongues is uttering mysteries in the spirit. That's very strange. So if we were to drop down to verse 13 through 19 and understand and allow for the fact that tongues was associated with praying, singing praise and giving thanks, then we can understand how the gift of tongues was speaking to God. But that doesn't sit well with the ultra conservative viewpoint over here. That has to allow at least for a middle position or a completely different and more convincing thing than I've been reading for the past couple of weeks. Paul's point, though, in verse two and three is very clear. Tongues without interpretation does the church no book good because nobody understands them. <laughs> Prophecy is better because the one speaking does three things. Look at those three words and tell me if you don't need that sometimes. And if that's not why you come to church sometimes. And wouldn't it be beautiful if this is what we did to each other? The end of verse 3. The one speaking speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. And friends, we need to be built up. We need encouragement and we need to be consoled. God has given us the church, this new community. God has through the gospel, made us members of the New Covenant community so that we would have the encouragement, the building up, and the consolation that our souls desperately need. Thank God for the church and his gifts. But prophecy does that better than tongues. So Paul says... Especially desire. Prophecy. Reason number two, verse four and five. Reason number two, verse four and five. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. But the one who prophesies builds up what? The church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless... Someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Very important there at that last part of verse 5 is that tongues was the same as prophecy when? When it was interpreted. Because the Holy Spirit was given a message to the church. He also gave someone else the interpretation for it. And the church was built up. Same as prophecy. But Paul will go on to say, if there's no interpretation, be silent. Sit down. It's not for the public worship. And friends, I can't help but read 1 Corinthians 14 and see that a lot of the charismatic and Pentecostal churches that I know just seem to totally dismiss that. Reason number two tongues builds up the individual but prophecy builds up the church prophecy's better because it's for the whole body now how does it build up himself that's very interesting tongues builds up the individual himself Paul Gardner gave a good answer to that. We might surmise that the individual is encouraged. If he doesn't understand what he's saying, then how is he built up? The one who genuinely had the experience of the uh, spiritual utterance, even though he doesn't understand the mysteries that he's uttering. Paul Gardner says we might surmise that the individual is encouraged by a deeper sense of the Holy Spirit work in his own or her own life. And I can imagine that to be so. And I can also understand why that would cause other people to be jealous and envious and want that gift and maybe even try to figure out how to conjure that gift up so that they too could have that spiritual experience. But friends, the gift of tongues was given by the spirit. It was a supernatural empowerment, not something that you practiced in your prayer closet. Paul's point, prophecy is better. Why? Because it accomplishes the goal. Hammers are better for nails. Fly swatters are much better for your father's head. Why? Because it accomplishes the goal. Prophecy builds up the church. Reason number three. Verse 6 through 19 is a long section, but Paul makes one point here. Tongues is not understood without interpretation. Prophecy is understood. 6 through 19. The whole thing. Verse 6 through 12. Tongues does not benefit the church unless it is understood. Verse 13 through 19. To be understood, tongues must be interpreted. So, this is a beautiful text here. Look at verse 6 through 12. Paul illustrates his points. Tongues does not benefit the church unless it's understood. He gives a bunch of examples and illustrations here. Look at verse 6. He said, look, if I came to you speaking in tongues, it's not going to benefit you unless I bring along something that would be useful. You're not going to understand what I'm saying. Look at verse 7. He says, let me give you an illustration. Just like a musical instrument, just like if Elisa plays her flute and doesn't give a distinct note. No one's going to recognize the tune. It's just going to be chaos up here. Fortunately, she doesn't do that ever. Have you ever heard Elisa not give a very distinct note? It's beautiful. Illustration number two, look at verse eight. Well, Think about the bugles used by the military. Has to give a what? Distinct sound so that the soldiers will understand that they're supposed to get ready for battle. There's specific Sounds made, and the soldiers know what to do. And if it's an indistinct sound, nobody understands. Same thing with tongues. Illustration number three, verse nine, your speech. Your speech has to be intelligible for anyone to know what you're saying. And it's important to note here that Paul is not saying that the gift of tongues is unintelligible. He's saying if you utter something that is unintelligible, then no one's going to understand it. He gives another illustration, verse 10 and 11, different languages. He said, just like there's many different languages around the world. If you speak to me in Portuguese, I'm not going to understand. I'm just going to say, ciao. That's all I know. Well, and oi. Oi, ciao. That's it. I was able to greet one this morning in sign language. That's the extent of of my ability. I know no Farsi and I'm not able to speak any of the other languages in the world, except for buenos dias, you know, that's it. I don't get it. Paul says, I'm gonna be a foreigner to them and they to me. Tongues is not useful for the group gathering. Why? Because nobody understands. So verse 13 through 19, to be understood, tongues must be, keyword what? Interpreted. So he says in verse 13, therefore, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. And then Paul says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. I don't understand what I'm praying. What am I supposed to do? I think it's interesting what he says. He doesn't say stop praying in tongues. He just says, I'm going to keep praying in tongues privately. But I'm going to talk to you all with my mind. So he says, do both. There's a place for hammers and for fly swatters. There's a place for tongues and for for prophecy. At least there was in Corinth. Personally, I don't think there is today. So, verse 13 and 14, he gives an exhortation based on the fact that tongues does not benefit the church. Look there in verse 13 and 14. Are you looking? The one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he might interpret. And he gives the Personal emphasis at the bottom. Look, if it's up to me, I'm going to speak five intelligible words in the public gathering rather than 10,000 in a tongue. Paul said that's how important it is. Finally, reason number four. Verse 20 through 25. Not only does it not build up the church, but what if there's a non-Christian who comes to your worship gathering? And by the way, did that ever happen? Apparently it did. Tongues does not communicate the gospel to unbelievers. Prophecy does. So when the church gathers together, which one's better? Gift of prophecy. Read verse 20 through 25. Brothers, Do not be children in your thinking, be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it's written, he's referencing Isaiah chapter 28 here. In the law it's written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. And so Paul applies what happens, or what happened in Isaiah 28 to the church at Corinth. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and an outsider or an unbeliever enters, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But... Imagine a different scenario. If all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted by all, called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he'll worship God and declare that God is really. David Garland explains this difficult text. You should go back to Isaiah 28 and read the history behind this. But what Paul is saying here is not only do tongue, tongues not edify the believers, but they're also a sign of alienation and judgment of unbelievers that cements them in their unbelief. Tongues, being unintelligible, cannot convince Outsiders of the truth of the gospel, only prophecy, which is understandable, can do that. So Paul goes back to Isaiah 28, where Israel mocked Isaiah's prophecies as if they were, quote, baby talk. They acted like Isaiah's prophecies were baby talk. And so God said to them, baby talk, huh? I'm going to send the Assyrians against you and their language is going to be as incomprehensible to you as baby talk. The Assyrians spoke a foreign language and they were a mighty army and in 722, they came and conquered Israel. And the sign of that was an unintelligible tongue. It was a sign of judgment. And here... Paul is saying tongues are a sign of judgment for the unbelievers because instead of drawing them into the gospel, it's driving them away. On the other hand, what does prophecy do? Just look at the end of this thing. Verse 24 and 25. Declaring the gospel... Sharing God's word, what does it do for non-Christians? It brings conviction, calls them to account, discloses their heart, and oh, by God's grace, please cause them to fall on their face and worship God. May it be done to every non-Christian who ever comes to our church. May it be done for every child That is born into Winchester Baptist Church. May conviction be brought. The gospel calling draw them in. And their hearts be shown to be needy of the Lord Jesus Christ and his grace. So that they too can be saved. Prophecy does that. Tongues does not. So this whole thing. I know. Long. This whole thing, Paul has made one very important point. The purpose of spiritual gifts is to build up the church. And because that's its purpose, prophecy is better than tongues. Let me just ask you a question this morning. Is that how and why you came to church today? Did you come with the purpose to build others up? When you really get a hold of this universal truth that God has given you all of the gifts that he has given you and he has called you and made you part of this community, not only to benefit from it, but to come here and encourage and build others up and give consolation. Then friends, that will make a huge difference in why we come, when we come, how quickly we leave how we sing and read and listen and talk, who we speak to and what we say. And may that central truth grip our hearts this morning for the glory of Christ in us and through us. Let's pray together, all right? Father, thank you for this text. We have scratched the surface of of uh, some wonderful things about your gifts. I pray that you would give us understanding. I pray that you would help us to understand the gifts that you have given still to this church and in operation today. I pray that you would help us to understand not only our gift, but our role, whatever our gift is, that we might all come to build this church up. We desperately need each other. And I want to thank you for the one who quintessentially was not just filled with the Holy Spirit, but the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord of the Spirit. I pray that and I thank you that he sacrificed himself to give us life and redemption and to ultimately build his church on the foundation of the apostles, and the prophets, so that we can benefit from it today. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.